Tuesday, so you know what time it is. It's time for Stephen Lassen, Senior Editor, Athlon Sports. Welcome back to the show, my friend. How's it going? Hey, Mike. It's going great. It's it's great to talk to you as always. I am eagerly counting down the days and the hours until we get to Saturday, so we can get bowl season underway. A uh, little sad. We only had one college football game on uh, Saturday, so uh, Jones in for some college football at this point. <laughs> yeah, I hear. I'm I'm heavily on the YouTube right now, just watching back games from this season, trying to uh, you know figure out who these teams are that the SEC is playing. So it it's like you said, it's tough out there for us college football maniacs. You know what? It is uh, the good. I guess the good news is the transfer portal is while it is kind of wild and crazy and it can be chaotic, I guess it's keeping things interesting uh, for those of us college football fans. And the coaching carousel is slowed down. Um, I would imagine the coordinator carousel picks up here, especially with uh, early signing day right around the corner. So really no off season, but there's there's at least some (laughs) news out there until we get to Saturday, we get to uh, bowl season starting. Yeah. Oh, there is a lot of news, Stephen. So we'll get into it here in just a second. But before we get to that, uh, hey, it, it is uh, an unfortunate anniversary today, Stephen. It's one year since the tragic passing of Mike Leach. And uh, just wanted to hear your thoughts on, uh, you know, the impact he made on the game, favorite memories, just anything. Whenever, whenever somebody mentions the Pirate to Stephen Lassen, uh, what do you think of? What is it, you know? His press conferences where he's talking about mascots and, and fighting to the death. Is it, uh, is it a big game? Is it all these fly, high-flying offenses? What is it that stands out to you about Mike Leach? You know, I remember when Mike Leach was hired at Texas Tech, and I remember reading about his hire in the USA Today newspaper. I guess that, I don't, maybe, <laughs> to the, <laughs> I'm not sure what that says about me. as a nerd reading a newspaper back like when I was like in uh, middle school or whatever. But I remember reading about like his like his personality and his offenses. And when we got to see him at Texas Tech, I think one of the first memories I had of him was in a bowl game. They played Iowa and his halftime interview was pretty memorable. I, I think he, you know, they asked him how they how they were playing or how they were going to attack. And he was like, we're not playing worth a bleep and ran off the field. And, and I'm sort of paraphrasing. Here, but... game. They missed the field goal and they go in at halftime leading by only seven. So momentum in this ball game definitely has to be going back to the guys in Lubbock. Adrian Karsten, let's go to you. Coach, do you feel like the momentum is coming back to your side of the field now? I don't know. We're not playing worth a damn and we need to play better than we are right now. Ron? Well, I'm very succinctly put. Adrian, I don't think we can add much to that. Do you? It gave you like an early glimpse of like his personality. And it was, it's not only the personality, it's the legacy to me that he, he left behind for college football. When you think about the greatest like offensive minds in the sport, Mike Leach is up there. Like he's one of the innovators. You see this offense in staples of high school football, um, up to college and different, the concepts after the pros. Now Um, he's just truly one of the offensive innovators and whether it was his personality, the legacy, 
the moments that you mentioned, uh, being asked about mascots, Halloween candy. I remember the time at Texas Tech too, where he there was a kicker who won like a halftime contest, and he brought him onto the team. Um, it ended up being a pretty effective <laughs> kicker for him. So uh, it was. He's just man. He was just one of a kind, uh, and uh, sorely, I think, sorely missed by by those of us college football fans. Because I, I he actually, you know, the the, co- the conference realignment. I think he would have been like perfect to have some <laughs> thoughts about what's going on in the Pac Pac twelve. Yeah, the uh, he could have been the ideal comp, uh, college football commissioner. We sorely need. Uh, he would have come up with some yeah. wacky stuff. You know what? <laughs> Absolutely, he would have been perfect for that, or perfect for uh, like the college game day in the future. Although maybe he would have like went like way too over the segment time, and they. Would... <laughs> oh man, he whether it was on the field or off the field, like you just start to think about the impact that he had. Um, the on-field play, the coaches that learned under him, the system, the players, and how extensive his coaching tree and legacy is going to be. So, um, like I said, he is sorely, uh, I think, missed by by college football, just the overall personality, what he gave to the game and stuff, and just what a legacy he left behind uh, at Mississippi State or just throughout his career. Yeah, I mean, I, I knew he was beloved all, all around the game but when he passed just the the tributes and the stories it just it kind of blew my mind it was even a wider net than uh, even I realized at the time so just want to give a little moment there for the pirate because he is sorely missed but uh, hey Steven we we have to move on a tough transition from that but right before we hopped on I, again this is just speculation and rumors and all that but this is the perfect time for all that Steven because you you reference it. The early signing period is coming up quickly, a little over a week. I believe it's uh, December 20th. I believe 20th, yeah, is when the early signing period will begin. And it's really, it's a national signing period is what it is. You know, we're the Power Five and specifically SEC, they'll sign the majority of their high school class during this time. And we've got uh, big, the rumor mill is is running rampant here, Stephen, because Dylan Raiola, top quarterback, five-star Georgia commit. He's been committed throughout the fall, I believe through the entire summer. I think they even uprooted and moved their family to Georgia to be closer to Athens. He's been up, you know, I think he's been to every game uh, that he can visit. I mean, I, th- I thought he was locked in. I thought he was a dog for life, Stephen. He hadn't even stepped on, on campus as an official signee. But uh, so much speculation that he is going to flip to Nebraska, and, and this is like Steve Wiltfong, I mean, credible people, Chad Simmons, all these people saying, hey, watch this flip. His father played at Nebraska. He's a Nebraska legacy. His uncle, I believe, is a current uh, staff member there. So He's the offensive line coach. At, yeah. oh, I mean, again, this has not even happened yet, Stephen, but if it does, um, I mean, what would that mean for the state of Georgia uh, here that, uh, you know, they were – Probably a game away from being a three-peat champion, something that is really not really done in in, in modern in, – it hasn't been done in modern college football. And we still don't know Carson Beck. Like, what's up with that? He he certainly could come back, but he could – It's it's gone long enough, Stephen, where I think he is, is uh, you know, definitely, definitely considering NFL. If he leaves and we don't get Dylan Raiola, I know we got Gunnar Stockton. So it's not like the cover's completely bare here, but Brock Vandegrift's already committed to Kentucky. 
Uh, we are, and you said it yourself, Stephen, early look at the Athlon magazine. I mean, Georgia's going to be, I'll, I'll let you say, but I, I think you said top three in the country. What, how would this affect the Bulldogs going into next season? Yeah, it's, pr- it's pretty significant. Um, the first thing that comes to my mind is sort of the dominoes that could happen here. Like, let's just say he does commit to Nebraska. Maybe it's also no coincidence that Matt Rule, the head coach in Nebraska a couple of days ago, was like, hey, we need about a million and a half, two million for a quarterback. And then this news comes out. Is, are they connected? <laughs> I don't know. They're just It's just a fun coincidence probably in all this. But they think about the dominoes. You think about if you're Georgia, you kind of have your next guy lined up. So if you assume Carson Beck comes back, Raiola is ready in 2025 to be the guy. Then all of a sudden, if Beck goes to the NFL, you're left with Gunnar Stockton. Does Georgia go into the portal? Does Georgia get into the sweepstakes for a quarterback like Cam Ward, uh, who's you know going to visit, I guess, Miami? Uh, Ohio State's been rumored for him. There's It's the domino effect that intrigues me is what does Georgia do if they lose him? Do they go out and they get a transfer? Do they go out and get one other uh, freshman quarterback and start offering some guys? So you have that domino effect, but then it becomes – 100% clear that they probably have to find a way to keep Carson back. Like whatever it requires an NIL, whatever it is, I think you have to keep him. Even if you have confidence in Gunnar Stockton, I think Carson Beck, I mean, I I think he's second, third, whatever you want to rank him, best quarterback in the SEC this year uh, would be one of the top quarterbacks in college football next year if he comes back. So it's important for George just to keep him regardless of what happens outside of the uh, uh, Riola kind of recruitment. So a lot of interesting dominoes could be in play here. I, I think Georgia's a top five team for next next year for sure. If Carson Beck comes back, I think they could easily be a uh, preseason number one contender with Alabama. Yeah, and if fair or not, Stephen, I, I mean, it doesn't necessarily indicate what the future will hold for Georgia, but they have not. Had a ton of success with transfer quarterbacks. Well, unless you count Stetson, and I really don't, because he went to, he started there and he went to junior college and came back. You know, I'm thinking J.T. Daniels, Jamie Newman, um, <laughs> and of course uh, Justin Fields leaving the program. I, I guess he doesn't count either. But hey, I'm just saying, hey, going to the portal that that would be their only option, I think, because I, I'm a I'm a big believer in Gunnar Stockton. I should say that, but again. It's championship or bust now in Athens, and we don't know what we have in Gunnar Stockton. As much as as I like to believe he's going to be a great prospect, can he win you a national title year one? Because that's that's what they're going to demand of him. And I would, to your point, I th- I think they would they would be the number one spot for a transfer quarterback. Um, so I, I don't know. That's just a, a situation we have to monitor. Yeah, and you start thinking about the transfer quarterback market. The names that are entering the portal now, it's kind of slowed a little bit. The big names got in last week. It doesn't mean that someone couldn't jump in as a surprise in the next uh, few days here. But Dylan Gabriel committed to Oregon. And we talked about Cam Ward. You've got Riley Leonard. You've got a few other uh, Will Howard from Kansas State still out there. So there are some, but you're also getting past that first tier of options where it's more solid, second tier um, guys, let's also, I mean, if we, if you want to speculate a little bit too, like what if Carson Beck does go to the NFL and Georgia starts the season against Clemson in the opener and they get Alabama, uh, early in the season, if that schedule leak is, uh, is accurate, like you'd be talking about a quarterback being dropped into one of the most like difficult, 
uh, starts to the season. Georgia's got talent. They're going to be fine. I think it's it's kind of the collective like intrigue here. Like, What does it mean for transfers? What does it mean for freshmen? What does it mean for all the dominoes that could be in play here for Georgia? So there's a ton of intrigue uh, here p- hinging on uh, Riola and also hinging on Carson Beck in Georgia next year. KJ Jefferson, come on in. That, that, that would be, I know he's not even in the portal, but that would be my pitch to him. But uh, hey, it's interesting you mentioned that, Stephen. I, I did want to ask you real quick about uh, this Georgia schedule leak. I'm going to throw it up on the screen. I'm going to run down the schedule here if you're just listening uh, to the podcast. But like you said, in the opener in Atlanta, they get Clemson, which, you know, uh, you know, it, they've been a little bit down, but still, that's that's elite competition. And Every time Georgia takes the field from here on out under Kirby, they're going to have a target on their back. This will be an opportunity, regardless of what anybody thinks of Clemson next season. They, they're going to have talent. And if you beat a team like Georgia, all of a sudden you you skyrocket into the top five, maybe even higher. So that, that's going to be a, a primetime game. And, and like you said, I mean, that you may not even have your starting quarterback back for the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, second week of the season, Tennessee Tech. That's the Georgia non-conference schedule we know and love. Uh, third week at Kentucky. Not Never an easy game for Georgia. You get two weeks to prepare for at Alabama, maybe the you know defending national champion. They will be, obviously, the defending SEC champion. Auburn at home, Mississippi State at home, at Texas. My goodness, Stephen, is this a playoff schedule or is this SEC regular season? It is regular season here. I was gonna say. I was gonna say it's like the uh, but the ninth division of the NFL, right? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> SEC. <laughs> Two weeks to prepare, as always, for Florida in Jacksonville at Ole Miss. Again, we're gonna get to them. They 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 could be red hot. Tennessee at home, UMass at home, Georgia Tech at home. My goodness, Stephen. There there is uh, they they go from what is perceived to be the easiest slate in the country last offseason to what may be regarded as the toughest schedule in the country. Thoughts on, on Georgia playing that gauntlet? And uh, g- given the fact that we're in, we'll be in a 12-team playoff format, you know, the good news is you could drop one of those, maybe even two, and still be fine for the playoff, but it's, it's not going to be a, a guarantee by any means. Man, it's like a complete reversal from this year. Um, you know, even though, and shame on me for thinking this, I thought Georgia was the best team in the country before that SEC championship game. Um, and that was regardless of schedule. You know, sometimes when you look at teams and you're evaluating them on their schedule, if they're just taking care of business, like to me, it's not about it's not about how easy your schedule is. If you're going out and dominating, um, that says a lot about you. But in this case, we'll learn a lot about how good Georgia is right away next year. Like you said, the Clemson game, I, you know, I've got just off the top of my head, Ole Miss, Texas, and Alabama, that could be three top 10 opponents they have to play on the road next year. That doesn't even count the rivalry game against Florida. Um, it doesn't even count a potential SEC championship game rematched against an Alabama, uh, Texas, or Oklahoma, uh, potentially. Uh, this, this is a schedule where if you're Georgia, obviously it's a new era of football with the 12 team playoff, but I think you can afford two losses on this schedule and still be, feel comfortable about getting in. This is the the other angle of the 12 team playoff where if you're Georgia, let's do say you do go 10 and two and you're seated sixth or seventh. 
Is anybody in the playoff going to want to play that Georgia team potentially with Carson Beck, even if they do go 10 and two? Um, That's sort of the flip side of this is, is I think you will see some of these teams like an Alabama, like a Georgia, if they're 11 and one, 10 and two, and they're seeded in the middle of the the playoff, they're probably going to be a very trendy pick to go very far. Uh, So I guess all that to be said, this year's schedule was pretty easy. Next year's schedule, if Georgia goes undefeated, they would have earned it uh, because that is very difficult. Yeah, and I would love to see again. But Georgia fans are hoping for twelve and zero. I get it, but I would love to see a ten and two Georgia get into the field, like you said, maybe a six seed and undefeated Florida State. Just leave them <laughs> out. They're basically UCF to me. You know what? Hey, if if the committee <laughs> thought that Florida State fans were bad and they had to what, remove the email address on the website to prevent complaints. Can you imagine leaving Georgia out at 10 and two with this schedule next year? Can you imagine like it ain't going to happen, Stephen, no yeah. chance, no chance that happens. Right. right. There, there were, there should be no chance, but if they do, I would be, I feel very confident in Georgia fans letting the, the, the playoff committee members know very oh, yeah. loud, very loudly uh, about their complaints. Now, all anybody wants to talk about right now, Stephen, is the portal and, and all going in, in with that. So uh, I wanted to ask you real quick, is there, is there any uh, teams that are, that are particularly stood out to you with uh, we're now a little bit over the portal window being open? It's a 30-day window, so we got a lot more to go. But uh, and where things stand after the first week, Stephen, are there any SEC teams that are particularly hurt by the losses uh, via the portal in your mind? I think the first one that comes to mind is Florida. Um, You take away Trevor Etienne, a guy that would have been probably one of the SEC's top running backs, playmakers next season, and potentially he could go to a rival uh, or another SEC team. That's uh, that's problematic for Florida on a lot of levels. Also, uh, Princely, uh, one of your best defensive players, also hitting the portal. So in a year where... Billy Napier, there's a lot of urgency to get this fixed. You know, two of your top players are exiting the program. They could backfill, certainly, um, but certainly I don't think it's a good look, and it's also a loss on the field. I think the losses for AM long-term, I think, and probably they're going to be fine, I think. But when you lose some guys like Walter Nolan, um, Fidel Diggs, you know, the over, you know, Micah Overton, LT Overton, you also throw um, Besantis, uh, the, the tackle transferring to they lost a lot of talent in the portal. Uh, I was a little surprised to see all those guys leaving the program after Mike Elko came back to College Station. I don't think it's a huge concern, but I do think there's a lot of losses in there for a Texas A&M team that I think has potential to be in the top 25 at the start of next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let me ask you about Florida, Stephen, because uh, I, I'm hearing a lot of, obviously, I mean, a lot, a lot of people are, you know, and, and we're going to talk to a, a Florida insider on the next episode, but um uh, the fact that they are losing some key contributors, now they're getting Graham Mertz back, uh, but you know I, I thought he he was significantly better than I thought he would be, and they they still were not that good. So again, I'm, I'm not discounting him by any means, but I'm just I'm just wondering how much of an impact he makes unless he he continues to make massive strides or something. But um, you, you you hit it there, Etn. I mean, he is he didn't get the ball nearly that as as much as many thought he should he was one of the more explosive playmakers at the running back position in the entire SEC 
But it's a unique position, Stephen, because even um, the biggest Billy Napier defenders, they're they're gonna they're saying, you know, we're not gonna have a lot of seniority on this team. It's gonna be a lot of young players once again. And again, the schedule reveal will be out Wednesday. So we we know the teams. We just don't know the order from the Florida Gators. But this is a this is a gauntlet. Eleven Power Five teams on the schedule, and having to to make strides in year three. Fans are demanding progress, and I'm not saying there won't be, but it just makes it that much more difficult losing some of your your big time players, doesn't it? It really does, and I don't know if this is fair or not, so feel free to just tell me I'm an idiot by saying this, (laughs) but it's like the perception, like your perception among the college football like collective and also like recruits, and you've seen some Florida's lost some recruits. They've also watched ETN. They've lost one of their best defensive players leave the program. You've now seen Florida finish with two losing seasons in a row uh, under Billy Napier. The positive side is, I do think if you, if you watching this Florida team, I trust Billy Napier. Like they could go out and find some running backs, and bring them in, and I think they would do fine. The, the fact that Graham Mertz was that much better than we thought and significantly improved from Wisconsin ought to be like a positive sign for Billy Napier. If he can do that with the offense, and realistically, maybe some there's some growth there in 2024 combined with young players on defense and portal additions stepping up on, on that side of the ball. You can see a path to improvement here, but we, you know, you and I, during the season, we've talked about like proof of concept and trying to sell things and positive momentum. But at some point like that runs out and you have to start showing results and Florida state just missed the playoff. Uh, you know, Miami sort of kind of hovering around 500 right now under Mario Cristobal, you know, if Florida state keeps trending up and Florida still hovering around six and six, I mean, it gets a little harder, I think, to sell your program in the state. Now they are top five in, re- in recruiting this year too. So we should, you know, keep in mind, they have a really good class uh, coming to Gainesville. So I think it hurts. It really hurts the perception and sort of continues to add to that. There's this uncertainty maybe about how this is all going to work out. There's been some good signs and there's been some positive signs but it always feels like there's one step forward and one step back. It doesn't really feel like there's been that leap. Like had they won at Missouri, had they beat Florida State at the end of the year, you'd go into the offseason uh, feeling a lot better. Is Does that does that seem fair? Yeah, but I was going to ask you this, Stephen. What, what about, because uh, I've heard this comparison, is, um, you know, Missouri, they never had a winning season under drink until this year. Is, is that a, you know, it's not an apples-to-apples comparison, but would that be your kind of what you're clinging to if you're a Florida fan that, hey, maybe stability. Mark Stoops, you could, is another one. I, although it may be offensive to Florida fans to say, look at Stoops at Kentucky. You know what I mean? But yeah. but but Drake is probably a better example. Could you could you see that path to where it's a, you know, a breakout is just around the horizon? Yeah, I think so. I think that's, if you're a Florida fan, I think you wanted to buy into some optimism and maybe, a, you know, how, like, the turnarounds, like even I hate to use Florida State as an example for Florida fans, but Mike Norvell went five and seven the year before they went. They won ten games last year, so there is sort of a you know you have to like almost like lose close and then you start to win some of those games, and then you start to to kind of take to the next step as a program. 
I think if you wanted to kind of play another angle of optimism for Florida, when you look at their schedule, it is difficult. Miami goes into next year. We'll see where they are with the quarterback situation. They probably will be picked top 40 somewhere. A&M's got a new staff. Uh, We'll see what the roster looks like later this year. They get Ole Miss at home, um, and they get LSU at home. So in some regards, the schedule is difficult, but some of those games come at your place, and you're also catching some of these teams in transition. So there may be some silver lining there if you're Florida that while this is difficult, there are probably some ways you can kind of navigate this if, if you get some growth at on, along the defense and continue to improve offensively. Mm-hmm. Now, how about, uh, let's not be so negative, Steve, and how about teams that have helped themselves in the portal? And again, it's early. We're, we're just over a week, so there's there's many more commitments on the horizon. But uh, does anyone stand out to you? And uh, I was specifically also wanting to get your thoughts on Mississippi State landed uh, Blake Shapin from the quarterback from Baylor. Arkansas just landed quarterback Taylor Green from Boise and Mizzou. They've landed a, a running back, Marcus Carroll, and a uh, defensive back from Clemson. Uh, can, can you tell us anything about any of those players? Yeah, I, I should apologize because I, I should have probably mentioned Vanderbilt and the team that the, the team that lost a, a lot to the portal. So my mistake. On We've that almost one, omitted uh, them from the show because right. they <laughs> they seem to have no commitment to playing football. Have they been relegated for Florida State? Is that what's going? Oh <laughs> uh, no! In, in all seriousness, my fault on that one. I should have mentioned Vanderbilt. They've lost. You know, of course, we you guys have talked about it. You and you and Shane with Ken Seals and AJ Swan and the receivers. On the positive side, though. You and I talked last week about uh, the job that Eli Drinkowitz has done with transfers and that staff. I love the two that they brought in so far. Um, Carroll, the running back for Georgia State, was sort of a part-time shared carry guy. And then this year he became the go-to guy and ran for over 1,000 yards. You're losing Cody Schrader. You're losing Nathaniel Pete. Here's a guy who's got high experience for a couple years at Georgia State. I also thought if you watched that LSU game, he ran well. Uh, he ran hard in that game, and they were just overmatched. Um, so I like the pickup of uh, of Carroll at running back. Pride at corner also, too. I mean, high-level talent that you can bring in, and we've seen the the job that Blake Baker and that defensive staff have done. So I really like uh, what Missouri has done. They've got some holes to fill up front. We still need to see some defensive linemen come in, but I like what they've done there. I also like the what Arkansas has done as far as additions uh, so far, especially at the quarterback position, not knowing what's going to happen with K.J. Jefferson. Taylor Green from Boise State, really intriguing skill set uh, to me. I think he's a bit raw as a passer, but I do think if you watch what Bobby Petrino did with Jalen Henderson at Texas A&M, you can see some things that could work. Uh, with Taylor Green, his mobility, and the strong arm that he has to push the ball downfield. So I like what Arkansas has done at quarterback to add some insurance uh, for for next season. Uh, Blake Shapin of Mississippi State is really interesting because if you go back to 2021, he started the Big 12 championship game. And it was kind of a breakout performance because Baylor was an underdog against Oklahoma State. And you may remember it was the play at the goal line where Oklahoma State tried to score in the last play and Baylor stopped him. That was the one that he started. And he's got an interesting background 
uh, he's for, he's a baseball player, and he's got you can kind of see in the arm angles and, and sort of the way that he moves around. He's talented, but he's been up and down at Baylor, and some of that has been youth at receiver. The offensive line for Baylor has had some ups and downs. I don't know that necessarily the scheme and personnel meshed. Uh, they cha- they're going to be changing offensive coordinators for next year. So if nothing else, he's a good insurance policy. I think he, the Mississippi State ceiling at quarterback has been raised. If you had to go into next year with what you had left over from this year, I think you would have been in, in you know probably worse shape. This gives you a higher ceiling and can help you get the kind of the the um the start to bring in some young guys and allow them some time to to develop. So I like the addition of uh of Blake Shape Shapen for for Jeff Levy. He also saw him play uh in the Big 12 when he was of course the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma. So I, I sort of right. just trust his, his evaluation here. Can you recall off the top of your head and if you can it's fine, but um did was was Shapen the quarterback for Baylor when um they played Old Miss in the Sugar Bowl and they they ended up beating Lane Kiffin and Old Miss? It's a good question. I think it was Jerry Bohannon in that game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so he would have come back by then. Yeah. So Bohannon play. Uh, Bohannon played in that game, and then Shapin. I was trying to look this up. Yeah. Um. He did not play in that Sugar Bowl because he in that Big Twelve Championship game he threw for three touchdowns, and that was kind of the thought process was Bohannon and Shapin went into the offseason. You know, kind of they were going to be neck and neck. But Shapin's performance at the end of the year sort of unseated him, and, and that's why he became the starting quarterback there. Well, either way, he's beating Lane. I don't care if he <laughs> yeah. didn't play. That's a, that's a win for Mississippi State fans. You know what? Right. Already starting the Egg Bowl rivalry <laughs> early. We've got Levy and we got Kiffin, you know, subtweeting uh, <laughs> Jeff Levy a little bit. So I love it, man. 365 days a year. Well, another Lane Kiffin tweet victim is uh, Texas A&M, of course, Stephen. So I, I wanted to get your thoughts. Uh, big hire for new head coach Mike Elko. He's hired offensive coordinator Colin Klein from Kansas State. Uh, anytime you can get a uh, alum from the school to leave, you know, he, Colin Klein, I, I'm sure he's getting compensated well, but uh, th- that's a big get. You know, he, they've been very successful at Kansas State. They played uh, Missouri the last two seasons, beat them two years ago, went neck and neck at Missouri this year. Came down, of course, to that uh, the longest field goal in SEC history, but that's what it took to beat Kansas State. Thoughts on uh, Colin Klein being hired at A and M, uh, and what do you envision uh, that fit there in College Station? Big time hire. Um, I, I thought Colin Klein is a rising star in the coordinator ranks. For the last couple of years, um, he's not that far removed from being a player. Uh, if you if you go back a few years when he played at Kansas State, they did a Heisman uh, kind of publicity for him where they sent out like a Band-Aid contain, you know, container <laughs> because he was always playing like, you know, he had like you know, over 200 carries as a quarterback and he was banged up and he was a runner and he was, a, you know, he's kind of a dual threat guy, but he was always like, you know, kind of bloody and beat up. And I think that's the kind of guy you when you and I have talked about AM, it's not about the talk anymore. They did that with Jimbo and the the award and all that. Mike Elko is about the work. And I think that's what Colin Klein is. You you go back to his career as a player and as a coordinator, not much of a, a guy that's going to get in front of the media and and talk about the hyping up the offense. He's just going to do the work. And if when you've watched K-State over the last um couple of years, 
the thing the, the word that comes to my mind is sort of like physicality and they're also adaptable. Their offensive line has been one of the better groups in the Big 12, uh, kind of smash mouth group. They can run the ball or they can run it with the quarterback. And they've also had some, you know, depending on who the quarterback is, they can sort of mold the talent around him. So they, I think they've been very adaptable. And I think that that style of offense, I think, will work very well at Texas A&M. If I'm an A&M fan, I'd be very excited. They were second in the Big 12 in scoring offense this year. But if you put on the tape and, and watch them, I think you'll you'll fall kind of you'll fall for what they want to do uh, schematically. Right. Yeah, I got a lot of homework to do, Stephen, studying these coordinators and these quarterbacks, and there's just so much going on. So I'm, I'm waiting till things slow down a little bit here. But uh, one thing that I have seen a lot from Colin Klein is him running the quarterback, like you alluded to there. But you, the key word there that I love to hear with any of these these scheme coaches is adaptability. Uh, I, I would have to think that the timeline, and, and pardon me if I have this wrong, but I would think Deuce Vaughn fit into that that timeline, and he, he did. was. He was elite, obviously. Now he's he's in the NFL. But the, the reason I bring that up, and I'm sure part of Colin Klein's thought process was was looking at what AM had, all that talent, and having Connor Wigman, who he can run. I'm not saying he's a statue back here, but just based on what I've seen from Kansas State quarterbacks, I would say those Kansas State quarterbacks far more mobile than Connor Wigman. But I would probably say and in fact I know it I know that Connor Wigman's probably a much bigger uh, arm talent than anything he had to work with at Kansas State so the ability to adapt to what he has will be paramount in college station but uh th- quick thoughts on and and we haven't even seen it so but thoughts on on Colin Klein utilizing Connor Wigman I have to believe that um you know that that's going to be a unique marriage that that is probably going to really help Connor Wigman. One hundred percent. The 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 funny the the first thing that came to my mind when I saw the Colin Klein hire was to figure out how it would work with Connor Wigman because his you know his potential the last two years if A and M can harness that potential. Um, they are going to be so much better next year under that staff. And that's what has me so intrigued is to see the development of of Wigman next season under Colin Klein. Um, was looking back at Colin Klein's stats, and he had over 300 carries, 317 as a quarterback. He ran for 27 <laughs> touchdowns one year when he was the starting quarterback at K-State. But you look at this season, Will Howard was the K-State starting quarterback, and he had 81 carries. So... You know, he was banged up a little bit. They used another quarterback as sort of a change of pace guy. I think that's kind of like you want that sweet spot, maybe a little bit of mobility, 50 to 80 carries a year. But it's going to be up to Colin Klein to take this offense to the next level as far as developing Wigman and also not overusing him because you're going to need him in some of these uh, big-time matchups, obviously the injury this year. So I don't think that they'll turn him into a, a runner. I think they can sort of situationally uh, use him. And I think that's Colin Klein's adaptability, I think, will play well here. Mm-hmm. Quick little break from the show to remind you guys we're brought to you by my bookie. Head on over to mybookie.ag today and put in that promo code that SEC, T H A T S E C, over at my bookie online sportsbook. They're willing to give our audience a $200 exclusive cash bonus today to wager 
When these bowl games, NFL, NFL playoffs will be right around the corner. College football playoffs, all the sports, they got you covered over at mybookie.ag today. And don't forget, most importantly, that promo code, that SEC is the number one way to help support the show this football season. Head on over to mybookie.ag today. Put in that promo code, that SEC, all new users get a free $200 cash bonus just for signing up and using that promo code. We're also brought to you by Prize Picks. Don't forget the Prize Picks Daily Fantasy Sports, the go to site for daily fantasy sports is none other than Prize Picks. And with that promo code SEC, they are willing to match your initial deposit up to 100 bucks. So you could have 200 bucks in your Prize Picks account today with that promo code SEC. Help the podcast stay independent. I know football's winding down, but there's still lots of football action to get in on before it all comes to a sad, depressing end. Head on over to Prize Picks, promo code SEC, and that SEC over at mybookie.ag today. We don't ask for much. We just ask, take advantage of these sponsorship opportunities if you can afford to do it. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any hard beverage you've had before. It's made with real brewed tea and picks a flavorful punch, 5% alcohol, and no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up any occasion, especially when you're cheering on your favorite SEC team. Twisted Tea, the drink that fuels fun and celebrates your love of college football. Keep it twisted. The podcast is also brought to you by Game Time. Head on over to GameTime.co and use promo code THATSEC for $20 off your first purchase. Buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game Time is a fast and easy way to buy tickets for all sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. Game Time is the place for the last-minute ticket sales. Forget planning months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Head on over to GameTime.co. Snag tickets without the stress. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code that. SEC for 20 bucks off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem that SEC for 20 bucks off. Download the Game Time app today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. And now back to the show. Now, how about uh, Mississippi State, Stephen? This caught me by surprise. They, they've already hired Jeff Lebby, of course, who's, who's not been a head coach and he's only been a you know, a primary play caller for a couple of years because he's worked under Kiffin, he's worked under Heupel, and I'm sure he's, you know, you couldn't work for two better offensive minds than, than I mean, throw in Sarkeesian, maybe top three in all the college football. But, you know, those guys like to call their plays, so, you know, we'll, we'll never get the full story on, on how much Jeff Lebby even called plays under those guys. But now he's a head coach. He's going to call plays at Mississippi State, which is interesting. And now he's hired defensive coordinator Coleman Hutzler from away from Alabama, who who's a special teams whiz. He's been at Ole Miss. So he's, he's you know, I'm sure they have a great relationship. But the point I'm trying to make here, Stephen, is, uh, you know, a lot of 
first times here. To my knowledge, Coleman Hustler's never called defensive plays. Not not at major college level. Jeff Lubby's never obviously been a head coach, major college level. A lot of risk, but but maybe a lot of reward here for Mississippi State. What, what's your thoughts on this this staff that uh, Lubby's putting together? Yeah, I think Hutzler was a little surprising because he hasn't been a primary play caller at one stop for like an extended period of time. He may end up being like a home run hire uh, for Lebby. But I always think if you're a first-time head coach, can you get some experience on your staff, especially someone on the defensive side of the ball, where you're not going to be as involved? Like almost you're just hiring a head coach of the defense. I think on the positive side, he's worked at a lot of jobs and for a lot of like good head coaches. I mean, the fact that he's worked at Alabama with Nick Saban, he's worked at Link with Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. He's worked in the SEC. He's been hired by head coaches. It seems like he's got a solid resume too, is like working with special teams. He just hasn't been a primary play caller. So there's there's definitely an element of unknown there, especially with a first time head coach. Now, the other side of it is they hired Matt Barnes, who was the defensive coordinator at Memphis, and he was also the kind of, sort of, interim uh, defensive coordinator for Ohio State uh, the previous year. So he's got some experience coming in, and that may help uh, Hutzler kind of transition into that primary role. You do have a guy with experience, and now you're pairing him with a guy who has SEC experience. So um, I can see why Levy did it. I probably would have hired a much more seasoned defensive coordinator if I was calling the shots there. Right. Uh, well, I would also argue, though, Stephen, that uh, whether it's of course, Kiffin went out and got Pete Golding, but it's not like he hit he had a sterling reputation at Alabama. I mean, many of those fans were happy to see him go. But if you're gonna go coach for Kiffin, Heupel, now Lebby, I don't know how and this is nothing against those guys, but there there's that's probably a tough ask of a defensive coordinator because you know you're gonna be facing so many snaps. And your defense can only hold up so much. I mean, if if those offenses are working to their highest level, you know, they're scoring around 45 points per game, giving up 35 points per game is probably winning football. Yet at 90% of colleges, they want you fired if you're giving up 35 points per game. So it's it's just it's a tough ask, is my point. The the flip side of that is if you're a defensive coordinator like Hutzler um or a Pete Golding. If you're looking to move up the career ladder, like you have sort of autonomy on that side of the ball. Uh, you're kind of the head coach of the defense because you know like Jeff Lebby's probably going to be focused on the offensive room. Same thing for Lane Kiffin. So there is an opportunity here um, for these for guys like Hutzler to try to move up by sort of you have a lot more autonomy, whereas you go to another staff, you might have the head coach meddle in it. I'm sure Lebby will have his influence and the same thing is with Kiffin. Um, but there's there's some autonomy there that I'm sure like they would appreciate uh, as the defensive coordinator um, here. So it, it's a really fascinating hire. I'm I'm curious to see how it works out for Mississippi State just because of the the unknown and and sort of being a first time play caller at a role where you're not going to have much time uh, with all the turnover and also sort of uh, the first time that this defense gives up. 500 yards uh, to to somebody, you, you know that uh, Starkville will not be very friendly to, to Mr. Hutzler. Right. And, and um, how about Oklahoma, Stephen? I'm, I'm just so overjoyed we get to talk about Texas and Oklahoma now, but they, they made a coordinator 
changes. Well, not a change because Jeff Levy, obviously, new head coach at Mississippi State, but they uh, promoted analyst Seth Luttrell to offensive coordinator. I believe he was a uh, former head coach there at North Texas. Uh, th- thoughts on him uh, because this is a this is a big time again, kind of the same thing we're talking about, but reverse order. Brent Venables, defensive minded guy. You really got to nail these offensive coordinator hires if you're going to have a successful program. He knocked it out of the park with Jeff Lebby. Now he's handing handing the keys to his offense to Seth Luttrell. What are your thoughts on this move by uh, the Sooners? Good move. Um, Seth Luttrell, you look at his track record, whether it was at, I think, Arizona, North Carolina, Indiana, always pretty much producing successful offenses. And when he was the head coach at North Texas, offense was not the problem. They just couldn't stop anybody most seasons. So I think it's it's kind of a seamless transition. He's been working in, in an off-field role at Oklahoma uh, last year. And so that'll he pretty much knows the players. He knows the scheme they're running. He's been a head coach before. He's not a first-time play caller. I think he's to, – to the discussion that we had on Hutzler and, and Mississippi State, Venables is all about the defense – Seth Luttrell's been an offense. He's been a head coach. He's been a coordinator. I think this is a perfect ro- fit for him. Uh, the track record's there. I love it for for Oklahoma. I'm excited to see too uh, what he does with uh, Jackson Arnold next year, and we'll get a look at Oklahoma in the bowl game um, against Arizona and, and get a first look at Jackson Arnold for next season. Yeah, well, one team, Stephen, that I'm ready to hype up for next season already, and we haven't even seen their bowl game, and uh, you you already. Mentioned in this tweet I sent out, but Ole Miss, of course, we got Judkins back, maybe the best running back in all the country next season. Jordan Watkins is, is committed to return. Trey Harris and tight end Caden Priestcorn and offensive tackle Michael Pettis on Monday all committed to returning thanks to uh, Ole Miss NIL. <laughs> hey, credit NIL. Hey, they're, they're taking care of their players. Jackson Dart has not officially, to my knowledge, said he's coming back. But all indications are he will if Jackson Dart continues to progress to the way that that he has in his two seasons there in Oxford. I'm calling it, Stephen. I mean, you're the you're the Athlon Sports preseason predictor, so you you may not want to uh, you know reveal anything to this point. I know you got to do a ton of research, but Ole Miss is looking like a preseason top ten team to me, and with all these guys back. And a leaked schedule, Stephen, again, leaked schedule. I, I don't know if this is, schedule is legitimate or not. I mean, we know the opponents, but the schedule, according to FBS schedules, I'm, I'm going to run down it real quick. Furman at home, MTSU at home, which is a new coach, at Wake Forest, Georgia Southern. I thought we were done with cupcake schedules in the SEC. Apparently not at Ole Miss. Credit them for uh, four gimmies here. Hey, they got to hey, in this new era of the sixteen-team SEC. You might want to schedule four <laughs> gimmies just to make sure you get to a bowl game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, if, hey, if it works, it works. Kentucky at home, at South Carolina, at LSU. It's going to be tough. You get two weeks to prepare for Oklahoma at home, at Arkansas, Georgia at home. Then two weeks to prepare for at Florida and Mississippi State at home. That's that is according to FBS schedules. Don't know if this schedule is official yet. We'll find out on Wednesday. But given all these players returning, Stephen, given the schedule that I just ran down there, I mean, if I'm an Ole Miss fan here, I'm not saying playoff or bust, but 
I may, I might be saying that in the back of my mind. It just I just I wouldn't yell it yet. You know what I mean? We got to see this team. <laughs> well, I think let's let's also continue the optimism front. Is what they've been doing in the transfer portal so far. Uh, Lane Kiffin, of course, is the portal king, and they've gotten Chris Paul uh, from Arkansas, the linebacker, yep. and Tavion Nicholson, uh, the transfer, the defensive back transfer from Illinois. They now have I think two you know starters from you know probably day one when they walk into Oxford to start next season, continuing that theme of Pete Golding's got to get this defense better. You got to bring in some more guys on that side of the ball. They're probably, I would assume they're probably not done here either, but the offense looks to me like it's going to be one of the best in the country. Once again, next season, when you were talking about that schedule, the first thing that came to my mind is there's no Alabama, there's no Texas and they get Oklahoma and Georgia at home. So that's potentially four of the top, 10 or 12 teams in the country and two at home and they miss two. That's pretty favorable. Uh, if you're Lane Kiffin. So I, I think we all miss one, 10 games this year with that schedule and the playmakers. And, and if Jackson dart returns at quarterback, don't you have to start the bar at like 10 wins next year? I would, I would think so. I think so, Stephen, and that's why I'm I'm so excited for the Rebels next season. Uh, it could be a special season. Credit them for, you know, making the most at NIL, and, and credit Kiffin for attaching his name to every job out there, so that that NIL money keeps flowing in and keeping these elite players in Oxford for another year. And like you said, they're not going to be done yet. They're going to attract more talent, and and we all get enamored, Stephen, with uh. Heck, you know, we're just as guilty of it. We're going through here, new coaches, new coordinators. But year two, Pete Golding, like you said, I mean, that could be more impactful than than any new hire, you know, second year in the system for all those players. So, again, they'll, they'll probably never be a lockdown defense given the pace they, they go on offense. But if they just can take strides, if they can just limit teams in the red zone, force more turnovers, be more disruptive, more havoc plays. That's that's the recipe for Ole Miss having a, a special season. Absolutely, and I think to your point, the key things for me for Ole Miss, I'm not worried about the offense. Like I, I think with the the playmakers, quarterback Judkins, Kiffin calling plays, that side of the ball set, they were better on defense statistically this year under Pete Golding. They made strides. It's it wasn't. The elite strides, I think that if you're obviously if you're an Ole Miss fan, you were hoping for. But there was progress. So year two of the scheme, and you also bring in some transfers to either start or add depth to what you already had coming back next year. That's that's a really positive like optimism uh, trajectory here for Ole Miss. So it's not about being first in the SEC and scoring defense. It's about havoc plays for me when you when you have an offense like Lane Kiffin. You've got to be able to force some turnovers. You've got to be able to get to the quarterback. You've got to be able to get off the field on third downs and in the red zone. If you're giving up three and you're scoring seven, you know, you, the, the math works out really well over a couple quarters there. So it, it, Ole Miss will probably never have an elite defense. And while there is some room to grow here for sure, I think if you're an Ole Miss fan, I think you've got to start to be a little positive about the overall direction of not, obviously the the team the last couple of years for sure but what could happen on defense next year to get you into that uh 
conversation. Also, a, a, a broader conversation that we're as we're talking here it occurs to me just how brutal. It, just to, to stay as we're talking to thinking about how the SEC could be next year. If Ole Miss is going to be a top <laughs> ten team, Alabama, uh, Georgia, Texas, Oklahoma, Ole Miss, um, LSU. I'm sure won't be very uh, far behind on Tennessee. I would assume would be a top 10 team. Same thing for A&M. I mean, I, Mike, I don't know about you, but I mean, it's, this is going to be, this is going to be awesome. Uh, I hate conference realignment, but the new <laughs> SEC is going to be pretty cool. Yeah. There's definitely going to be some disappointed fans next year because we <laughs> yeah. can't all win. You know right, what? Right. Yeah. Good luck trying to uh, project uh, W's and L's section <laughs> in the SEC. <laughs> well, before we uh, fast forward completely to next season, Stephen, I wanted to wrap up with this. Uh, thoughts on uh, any, you know, the, it's award season. Jane Daniels just got the Heisman. I, I would assume that we both agree that, uh, you know, that was the rightful decision there. But any, uh, I, I'm going to have have you run down your all SEC team here in just a moment. But any, uh, any players snubbed or anything during award season that you think uh, in the SEC that, that maybe should have got some more recognition? I'll start with the Heisman. Um, I think they got the voters got it right. Jane Daniels, from a statistical, from an importance, from the most outstanding, whatever criteria that you want to vote on for the Heisman Trophy, he fit it this year. So they got it right. Uh, I thought he may win it by a few more votes. Not that it's a big big deal, but it was kind of close there. Uh, not sure why somebody voted Michigan quarterback JJ McCarthy first for the Heisman <laughs> Trophy. I would love to to know what the reasoning was behind that one. Uh, so maybe Jaden Daniels got snubbed a Heisman vote because somebody voted <laughs> for JJ McCarthy. I did think one award kind of stood out to me. It was the Nagurski Award. Uh, Malachi Starks from Georgia was up for it, and uh, Dallas Turner, I don't believe, was a finalist for it, but. I was a little surprised that Xavier Watts from Notre Dame won it. His seems like it's more turnover driven. He had a lot of big plays and it felt like just the other guys were just better players. Maybe they just weren't as fortunate in the turnover department. So I I did think Turner and Starks probably in my mind, they probably deserve the, uh, the Nagurski award more than uh, Xavier Watts did at Notre Dame. Yeah, no, I would agree with you on that one. So uh, I asked you to come prepared with an all SEC team. And as Stephen, I'm sure will tell you, he's got plenty of guys that uh, you know honorable mention because we're trying not to uh, get the entire SEC mad at us with with Stephen's list here. But uh, let's uh, who you got on your all SEC team, Stephen? Well, we'll start with uh, with quarterback. I, mean, I think we all know the obvious answer with that one. It's Jaden Daniels of LSU. Joe Milton. Joe. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, 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 I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Going to say somebody had him 24th in their quarterback <laughs> ranking this year. <laughs> Looked pretty good. Um, yeah, so Jaden Daniels was an easy pick for me at number one. Uh, there's a few positions as you go through here, and you just they're just easy. Put them in pen. Daniels was one of them. Um, I'll continue here in the offense, and Mike, feel free to, to stop me on this. But at running back, I've got Cody Schrader and Ray Davis. Uh, Judkins and uh, Jalen Wright. Uh, we're just uh, just behind those two. Yeah, interesting. Um, yeah, you have to put Cody Schrader up there, but you could almost put Jay Nails as one of the top running backs. You know, what I mean, he was just yeah. so effective this season for LSU. Uh, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have any objection to those. Ray Davis certainly scored a ton of touchdowns for Kentucky, and, and we got to see his full potential there after transferring in from Vanderbilt. 
I would have liked to seen, you know, I think it's fair to say, and, and maybe it's not on him, but, you know, there were some, he was kind of upset with his, how he was used a little bit towards the tail end of the season. But uh, yeah, I mean, just a touchdown machine. They don't, there's no chance they would have beaten Louisville without Ray Davis. And I love the fact that he has announced, hey, he, I'm playing for the bowl. He doesn't have to play in a bowl game. You know, in, in today's modern era, these guys just off to the NFL, and, and he will be an NFL player. But I love the fact that he's playing in the bowl game. It means something to him. Also a great NFL showcase for him because Clemson's defensive front is the strength of that team. So if he has a good game, I think it can only help his uh, his draft stock. It, it, was, it was tough in my mind, like Judkins – Maybe I weighed too much in the early part of the season because Judkins got off to a slow start and he got a lot better over the course of the season. Davis kind of started hot, kind of, uh, like you said, kind of had his moments later in the year, uh, maybe where he wasn't as involved as much. So uh, based upon talent, I think I'd rather have Quinshaw Judkins, maybe just rated Ray Davis just a little bit better, uh, having a better season. Uh, you look at the, the numbers within SEC play and they're super close too. So I could could go either way on this one. Yeah, and I think you could certainly, if you're a Tennessee fan, argue that Jalen Wright played as well as as any of those guys as well. But because they essentially split up the carries between three backs, and they were they were all so effective, which I think helped them. You know, not putting a ton of miles on, on those guys, so to speak. That uh, you know, I, I'm sure that helped. But uh, yeah, it would have been interesting to see Jalen Wright if he was just like a, which he was. RB1, but if he got a ton of carries, the production he could have put up in this offense, but I I I would imagine that he's he's happy with the the number of carries he got because now he can go to the NFL a lot fresher so to speak. And I think you could also maybe make that argument for uh Edwards and Milton at Georgia. Those two mm-hmm. came on once the once they were healthy and there once there was some cohesion on the Georgia offensive line. They got better as the season went on, but they also split up carries. Woody Marks, too, uh, had he stayed healthy, I think there was probably a good chance that maybe we're talking uh, about him for all SEC honors, too, by the, at the end of the season. Yeah, a lot of good running backs in the SEC this year, no doubt. At receiver, uh, I sort of cheated a little bit. I had an all-purpose spot and <laughs> three receiver spots. So at all-purpose, I think you could probably guess it's Luther Burden. Uh, you know, whether it's kickoff returns, getting him the ball and punts, uh, handoffs, catches, uh, one of the best all around players in the nation at receiver. I went with Malik neighbors, Xavier Leggett and Brian Thomas. I think that's a pretty strong, uh, group of receivers in the sec kind of, you know, Trey Harris from, from Ole Miss also very deserving. also think you could throw an Smith in there for uh, all purpose position as well. Yeah, and I apologize. I, I may have missed it. Did, did you say uh, Leggett too? Would you, would you throw yes. him in there? Yeah. yeah, the two LSU guys and, and Leggett at the receiver spots and cheating to get Luther Burden on there as first teamer with the all-purpose spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I don't think that uh, Jermaine Burton is better than those guys, at least not this year. But he stepped up in some big-time situations. I'm thinking SEC Championship. Uh, the Texas A&M game, I mean, he he was dominant in that. That was a season-defining game for Alabama, so he should get some love, certainly. Uh, Ricky Pershaw was was an outstanding receiver for, for Florida as well. But, uh, yeah, I don't I don't have any any complaints with any of those guys you got on there. 
Yeah, Burton led the SEC at 22 yards a catch, which is pretty dang good. Uh, he was certainly in consideration uh, for one of the probably second or third team spots that that I'll fill out. But that was you know, Leggett, Thomas, and and Neighbors. Man, that's those are I don't know. Pro- I'm sure probably going to be three of everybody's All Americans at receiver this year. It's a really good year, top heavy for the SEC and receivers. And another one maybe Lad McConkey, but he got banged up. You know, had he been healthy throughout the season, I, he may have put up some better numbers to where he could he could make a case for himself. Would you agree with that? Agree. I would also throw like Will Shepard in there. It's almost mm-hmm. like it's sort of oppor- he made the most of the opportunities that he had, and I think if he had a few more, he probably would have put up better numbers this season. Uh, but so I, there, there's some there's certainly some some depth here. You mentioned Pearsall, I think would be a strong like second second team uh candidate this year but like i said i think pretty top heavy and you throw trey harris in there uh who was uh sixth in the sec in uh receiving yards per game that's a really solid group of uh receivers in the mix for first team all sec yeah i'm glad you you referenced trey harris uh or, or trey wilson excuse me because he do you think he would he's like the heir apparent to luther burden for that all-purpose type yeah, I do. Actually, I'm glad you brought him up uh, because every time I've watched Florida this year, I'm I'm kind of like, why is he not getting the ball more? Like, he seems <laughs> like he should probably be more involved here. He seems to be pretty like, you know, kind of he's gotten, I think, more certainly more comfortable. And I think they've tried to utilize him more as the season goes along as a freshman bringing him along. But he looks like to me like somebody who could be a one of Florida's top, obviously top playmakers next year, but a guy that might be a breakout candidate in the SEC. If you didn't watch him this year, I think next year, if you want to get ahead of the curve, I think next year he could be a breakout star in the SEC for sure. Now it's probably uh, the least stunt uh, surprising. Who you got at tight end? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not a whole lot of time to think about this one. It's Brock Bowers at Georgia. Uh, easy pick for me. You know, second team uh, debate. Uh, uh, Still kind of wrestling wrestling with this one. Priestcorn over at Ole Miss. Uh, mm. Fairweather from Auburn and uh, Trey Knox for South Carolina. I think those would all be second team candidates, but Brock Bowers is by far uh, the easiest selection at first team. Right. Yeah. I mean, he missed significant portion. I, I still think he led Georgia in, in many key categories. Yeah, absolutely. I think 70-something receiving yards a game and six touchdowns. And despite all the – despite the injuries and the superhuman uh, return time and getting banged up late in the season, those numbers are are really good for for a guy who played in 10 games and was also returning from a pretty significant injury this year. Mm -hmm. Best best tight end in the country, too, by the way. It's – Yeah. Do you have have selections for offensive line? Yeah, I do. Um, These are – you know, man, you can look at that metrics from different sites and pass blocking and run blocking. They give you some different names. So I, I tried to blend a little bit here with just the eye test. I've got Cedric Van Pran from Georgia as the starting center. Uh, I think he'll be all American by most people at that position. I went five uh, linemen outside of center just to kind of get a f- different name on there. I've got two guys from Alabama. J.C. Latham, Tyler Booker, Tate Ratledge from Georgia, Will Campbell from LSU, and Javon Foster from Missouri. Those would be my starting like five outside of center. I know I'm bending the rules a little bit, but I thought all those guys were pretty deserving this year. Yeah, you'd win a lot of games with that unit as your offensive yeah. line. You know what? 12 men we're trying to play in the CFL. So. <laughs> 
All right, how about uh, how about all defense, Steven? Yeah, I thought the defensive line, I thought it may be not as many big names as we're used to seeing in the past, but certainly I think a lot of production here. And it starts with James Pierce, uh, kind of the, the leader of a very active Tennessee defensive line. Darius mm-hmm. Robinson of Missouri, uh, Deion Walker from Kentucky, and Landon Jackson from Arkansas. Since I went five offensive linemen, I had to go five DL. I went with Marcus Harris, too, of Auburn, also near the top of the SEC in uh, tackles for loss. Now, this may not be fair to Kentucky, Stephen, but uh, do you think if Kentucky was a little bit better that Deion Walker could have gotten some recognition as uh, SEC defensive player of the year? Because I, he just seemed to be a, a game wrecker. Nearly every game I I watched of Kentucky. That's a really good question. Um, I think certainly as far as national recognition, as far as like the postseason All America teams that w- there we'll see. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think maybe maybe the best way to put it is maybe one of the more underrated stars in the country. Uh, you mentioned the the havoc. I mean, I think like ten and a half tackles for loss five and a half sacks. I mean, he was pretty much a constant disruptive force and stopping the run. You know, we know Kentucky's defensive issues this year against the pass. Well, he was pretty active up front. So I, I would go with probably would be way more nationally recognized if maybe Kentucky won a few more games this year. That's fair. Right. Yeah. I think, I think that's kind of what was maybe ho- holding that back, which is, again, it's not, it's not on him to, to win all these games, but it's just kind of the way some of these, national recognition goes you know what absolutely yeah some of the voting on some of these things are uh some of the well i say we saw the the heisman (laughs) vote you see how extensive it is and you see some of the votes and it makes you wonder a little bit so yeah i I think (laughs) i think i think football guys like the the guys who like cole kublik who obviously does a ton of tape studying is is awesome like he like he would be perfect to talk a a lot about like the, the impact of guys like Walker and some of the underrated superstars uh, of the SEC and maybe aren't getting enough like Heisman or all-conference or all-America recognition. Mm-hmm. Uh, how about that linebacker? Who who made your uh, team there? I thought this this trio was actually pretty easy. Um, Dallas Turner, I think for sure he needs to be on there. Edgerin Cooper at Texas A&M and Nathaniel Watson of uh, Mississippi State. Went kind of back and forth uh, between Watson and Jet Johnson, but kind of just thought Watson was a little bit more uh, impactful to that defense. So I, I felt Turner, Cooper, and Watson uh, should be the three linebackers on the All-SEC team. They just don't play defense in the East, do they, Stephen? <laughs> all, all from the West. <laughs> this year. Hey, even even if you look at like the um, the second team, like I as I was going through, it was kind of making like guys who were also in the mix, like. Harold Perkins at LSU kind of cranked it up a little bit as the season mm-hmm. went on. Jet Johnson, Chris Braswell, uh, oddly enough, not somebody from from Georgia really. I think uh, Dumas Johnson getting hurt probably hurts his candidacy for for all conference, whether that's you know fair or not. But there's a lot of uh, very very West heavy year for linebackers here. Do you again? It's one game, and it's something that Georgia fans are they're going to lose sleep over all off season but would you attribute that at, at all them losing the SEC championship to to maybe not having you know some of these defensive stars that were accustomed to to being there in Athens I think it would have helped 
you know, especially like if when you think about how that game played out and you think about the times that they were, you know, obviously they were using the two spies on Milrow, but you think about if you had a healthy like Dumas Johnson and how he could have maybe either impacted the run, uh, just having a guy that's very good at communication out there in your defense, I think it would have helped. Does it change the outcome? You know, I, I don't I don't feel like it's a slam dunk that they would have beaten Alabama uh, with him. He certainly would have helped. Uh, also, I should mention Debo Williams of South Carolina probably deserves to be in the consideration uh, to fantastic season, uh, 113 tackles uh, for South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, Georgia, to, to their credit, they do have some outstanding defensive backs, and I imagine at least one of them made your list there. Yeah, it's it's funny because I wrote down four Georgia defensive backs to be in consideration <laughs> for for all conference honors, and there's almost not enough spots, so I may have to cheat and like add an extra corner or safety to get these guys all properly uh, recognized. But a corner, I think, pretty easy. Kool Aid McKinstry and Chris Abrams drain two out two, two players who had outstanding seasons make the first team at safety. I've got Malachi Starks and Caleb Downs two young up-and-coming safeties who are going to be right at the top of the best uh, defensive players already, but even more so uh, next season. And to, to kind of throw out there, Tyke Smith, Javon Bullard, uh, Kamari Lasseter, uh, all those guys from Georgia deserve recognition too. Yeah, we can play seven defensive backs. That's that's just the way it is now. You know what? Hey, we I bent the rules to put 12 <laughs> on the five offensive linemen and – an extra hey, center. So. Auburn does it. They may not do it effectively, but they've played eight defensive backs. I've seen them do it. Yeah. Well, I think they needed 12 out there. <laughs> the <fourth and 35. laughs> All right. Did you have, uh, did any kicker or putter make your, they're, they're people too, Steven. Absolutely. Will Reichard as my kicker, Matt Hayball from Vanderbilt as the punter, <laughs> Barry and Brown, a kick returner and an IS Smith, the punt returner. Yeah. Oh, there you go. I mean, all I would imagine the vast majority of the names you just ran down, Stephen. Not only, uh, you know, do they they all deserve the recognition, but they're they're all probably going to have bright futures at the next level. Absolutely. We 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 can't forget about our guy, the thicker kicker, right? Like he's got to <laughs> be on the second team award, and especially the timeliness of his kicks. You know, beating Kansas State. Uh, the kick to beat Florida under pressure. Uh, that's it was pretty impressive by uh, by Harrison Mevis this year. I, as we're talking, and this is a problem that we'll encounter this offseason, but think about adding Oklahoma and Texas to this league and trying to come up with a first or second team all conference. And it's almost like like basically like your first and, and second team all American <laughs> squads. Like for the most part, I mean, this is going to be this is going to be really hard to trim this down in the offseason. Uh, like I, I just for example, Jaden Daniels, Carson Beck and Jalen Milrow are my top three quarterbacks. And I mean that like that's, that's three of the better ones in, in college football this year. This is going to be a crazy deep year. If you had, you know, think about if you had Oklahoma and Texas this year with Quinn Ewers and Dylan Gabriel. Right. Yeah. I mean, there was a game, I believe Gabriel scored eight touchdowns, if I'm not mistaken, in a single ball game. We've seen Ewers kind of take over games, and he may do it in uh, the, the college football playoff here in the come in the in the weeks to come. So, 
Man, it's an embarrassment of riches and and, and talent, and I cannot wait for it, Steve. I, I'll promise you that. Absolutely. I can't wait for the schedule, too, on uh, Wednesday night just to, to see all the matchups. We know, we know who the teams are playing, but I'm always interested like in the order of games, interested mm-hmm. in see where the bye weeks fall, who's gets like, you know, the, how does the road game stack up after home games? Where's the letdown? All those. So it's a whole new world in the sec, but man, to see the Texas and Oklahoma on the slate uh, next year and to see it official, it's going to be pretty cool. So I'm, uh, as sad as it is, we're we're hitting the off season here. There's a lot to look forward to in some respects for next year. Yeah, and again, credit the SEC. I've been calling for it for a long time, Stephen. Make this the schedulings. They they did the the first one in July. The 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 opponent reveal. Make that an event. Now we're doing the schedule release in December. Making that an event. They're maximizing engagement. Which is great for people like you and I. <laughs> they, they finally, they're finally doing this right. I, I had this idea. I don't. I, if you've watched the NBA draft lottery and how awkward it is with like everybody <laughs> sitting in the room waiting until their not their team is called up. I've always had this idea. We could have Feinbaum like host, and all the SEC coaches <laughs> are sitting there nervously sweating to see who their opponents are going to be. If we just did the schedule. These you have to pick eight opponents every year. It's totally different. It could be some <laughs> great television to see the look on uh, Jeff Lebby's face as he gets to play, you know, Alabama, LSU, Georgia, back to back to back or something. <laughs> yeah, I, hey, maybe that's coming. You know, at the new SEC. <laughs> hey, I, like you said, programming, uh, content, and keeping the buzz going uh, all off season. I think it's got. Uh, I think it's got potential. No, so I, no doubt. Is, See if we can get Feinbaum to do it for us. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Stephen. Hey, before you go, as always, can you tell the audience where can they find you and where can they uh, find your work? Absolutely. So you can check us out uh, on the Cover 2 podcast every Wednesday, talking everything college football, whether that's SEC, Big Ten, all things college football. Uh, Cover 2 podcast every Wednesday. You can follow me on Twitter at AflonSteven, and you can check out my work on YouTube at AllCFB365. Also, Stephen LCFB if you're on TikTok or Instagram. So had to throw one more in there. <laughs> well, I appreciate you, my friend. Can't wait for our chat next week. And uh, enjoy the it off. It's not quite the off season, but it, it kind of feels like it. Enjoy the half season here, I guess I should say. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, you too. And uh, <laughs> look forward to uh, checking out the uh, the schedule release this week and seeing what the transfer portal has uh, in store for us. I'm sure there'll be no shortage of stuff for us to talk about next time. <laughs> Hey, buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and Cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the Pirate, and the Pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State.